Hi, Veggie Mates. Welcome back to the Veg Talk Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Davey, and this is episode number 82 with Dutch entrepreneur and vegan restaurant owner, Pim Bullion. Today's guest, Pim, is an old colleague of mine. Uh, we work for a company who were based out of Rotterdam, which is his hometown in the Netherlands. We caught up on LinkedIn after I saw he had launched two vegan restaurant brands and I thought that would be a really good chance uh, for me to ask him to come on the show and have a longer conversation about his journey. If you are in the Rotterdam area, I'd highly recommend checking out Vegan Pizza Bar and Big Drip. And if you are not local to the area, do not worry, you can find them on social media for some vegan food inspo. You can find their pizza bar at Vegan Pizza Bar on Instagram and their Dutch-inspired loaded fries joint at Big Drip Restaurant. It was super interesting to hear how Pim has started two brands during this global pandemic and created business models that will succeed despite the current circumstances. So let's get into it. As always, I'll catch you on the other side to wrap things up. I hope you enjoyed today's show. All right, Veggie Mates. Welcome back for another episode. We are with Pim Balion. Did I get it correct, Pim? You did get it correct. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks for having me. So basically, we've uh, we've hopped over from the UK last week, and we've uh, we've got on a plane and hopped off at Amsterdam. Got a quick train down to to Rotterdam, and uh, another hour drive from there is Antwerp, where Pim is currently living. So welcome to the show as our first our, our first Dutch guest. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored. No, I psyched like to have you on and I'll fill in our, our listeners. So basically, Pim and I used to work for the same company a few years back based out of Rotterdam. Uh, I was in the Boston office and Pim was in the headquarters in the, what is it? The Fenella factory? Yeah, the Fenella factory. Yeah. Which is like a UNESCO heritage site. It's actually a pretty cool office. And uh, I did get to go over there once uh, in 2017. And yeah, that was the only time I got to Rotterdam. But browsing LinkedIn, I found out Pim had started two restaurants in Rotterdam, both vegan. And I was kind of surprised because I didn't really have, I was vegan at the time when I traveled across and I didn't have a whole lot of interaction with people talking about veganism. And I'm sure we'll, we'll find out why uh, later in, later in the conversation because uh, Holland, I don't think, is exactly known for its, its, uh, its veganism. So yeah, welcome, man. And uh, let's get started. I'd love to hear a little bit about what it was like growing up in, in Rotterdam and uh, yeah, what your experience growing up was like. Yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, I've, I've lived in uh, Rotterdam uh, for all my life uh, and except for the last two years I moved to Belgium to Antwerp because my my girlfriend is a Belgian uh, which is like you said only an hour away but uh, a huge difference so that that's always the thing in Europe if, if you drive for an hour there's like a completely different culture um, yeah, growing up in Rotterdam is it, I, I still love Rotterdam like you said like uh, uh, when you get off uh, the plane in Amsterdam it's only uh, we always say in Rotterdam that the best thing about Amsterdam is to train back to Rotterdam. So that's uh, that's sort of how we <laughs> how we in Rotterdam see uh, Amsterdam. Uh, but it's also it's a healthy competition we have uh, with each other. 
Fierce rivalry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a healthy way, I think. I think I never want to live there, but <laughs> it's healthy. Um, so yeah, like my, my growing up in Rotterdam. Rotterdam is a really Rotterdam, people from Rotterdam are known for hard work. So that's that you always find the entrepreneurial spirit in Rotterdam. There's there are many entrepreneurial hubs, startup hubs there um, that really facilitate the that that vibe, that energy. Um, so for me, as a kid, I always knew like, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. So um, when I was 18 uh, and I was uh, uh, legally earning money, uh, the first thing I was was like trying, testing out all these kind of business ideas that I had that all failed miserably, of course, uh, until one idea that was like eight years ago that, that sort of took off. At least we got investors on it. Uh, and then two years into that company i started to question why my investors invested in me because it was a pretty shit idea actually <laughs> so that's when we pulled the plug and um i started like realizing okay how could this happen how why did this business fail and what did i do wrong because i was always i was always fond of the classic entrepreneurial advice like you have to work hard keep going keep going but if you're working on the wrong thing it just it doesn't work um, so that's when actually, I think that was back in 2008. Um, uh, and that's when sort of things like um, uh, lean startup design thinking that sort of became a thing uh, um, back then. And I started specializing in that. I started to learn how to validate uh, business models, how to experiment, how to test new ideas. Um, and that's always what I've been doing the years after. And I was also working on my skills Oh, there's a dog in the background. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my dog's in the bedroom. I think she's just seen another dog outside, so she's uh, saying hello. Yeah, hi, dog. <laughs> um, so that's actually when I started to 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 um, uh, also work on other skills that I wanted to learn. So about sales, uh, and that's how I got into the company that we worked at. Um, so that was that has been my journey actually, um, and. I think the end of 2019, I, I've always been a great, I've always been a cook. So I always wanted to cook, but I knew I never wanted to own my own restaurant, which is quite weird. Now I have a restaurant, but <laughs> uh, I, I didn't want to work the hours that, that were needed uh, for that. But food was my passion. Um, and I think at the end of 2019, I started transitioning into veganism. Um, I started like my interest uh, triggered it triggered my interest um uh, and i and i really really believe in the future of, of veganism it's not even a future in, anymore we're in that transition i believe um and at the end of 2019 i um i uh called my cousin and my cousin is a uh, he's a chef so uh during christmas dinner we were talking about okay we should do something together and that's when the idea for uh, the vegan pizza bar uh, came up because um, he was not a vegan at the time um, but in his professional cooking he already uh, found out that a lot of things that they, that he does in a professional kitchen is already vegan without people even knowing it so we're not that far ahead of um, the, the, the step is not that far anymore uh, for people to actually eat vegan without uh, the, the how do you say that the, uh, the stigma that it has 
so that's actually when it when it started and yeah then the pandemic hit of course um uh which for him he lost his work like from day one uh, as a chef because he was working at these restaurants and yeah there was no work anymore um and for me it, my work was okay um but uh at the time the 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 gym there was a gym uh which was a of, of a friend of ours um and we knew okay we knew we need to test out the ideas that we have so um one of the uh, assumptions that we had was that um for vegetarians to become vegan dairy is the biggest problem uh and especially cheese like cheese is, is, a, is a big issue so so we knew that we need to fix that problem uh, so we first we went out to taste all the vegan cheeses that were available we went to berlin we went to london we went to amsterdam which is sort of the vegan hub in the netherlands um, and it was just it's so disgusting um and i didn't find any cheese that i liked so okay that's when we knew okay we need to develop our own cheese um so we set out to do that we tested out some different kinds of cheeses and that's when we knew okay if we want to make this out of a business we need to test it uh, with our customers first so that's when we uh, approached the gym that was closed we bought a cheap ass uh, pizza oven we asked can we set this midden in the, uh, in the gym and he said yeah it's fine uh, and that's when we started baking pizzas and uh we knew I like I set up an Instagram account and right away we had like 30 customers at the first day. So I knew, okay, something is going on here. Um, and actually me as a vegetarian becoming vegan, I find the cheese that we made really nice. So that's when I knew, okay, we're onto something. Let's, let's get on with this. So that's actually like, in you know, that's really cool. You've gone the full, like, you know, you've really taken this on to, to actually develop your own cheese and rather than buying like the, the store-bought stuff that's already available. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kudos to you guys. That's, um, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So I suppose to, to kind of, you know, there's a lot to go through there. Um, did you, did you have any restaurant experience at all in terms of like, as a kid, did you work in a cafe or did you, have you worked in restaurants at all before? Once. And uh, when I was 16, uh, I was like a waiter in a, in a restaurant in, in Rotterdam, um, which I liked because of the people. But it's, I've always find, found out that the uh, restaurant business is the most unprofessional business I've ever worked in. It's crazy how, um, how unmanaged restaurants are. So I was always like, okay, this is interesting, but I don't want to run my business like a restaurant because the way a restaurant is run, that's not how you, for example, scale a business. But that's also not the goal of many restaurants to scale. I want to make something that I want to scale. So um, the, the way I approach my business is completely different than that of a restaurant. Um, so yeah, I had some restaurant experience, but it's not in a kitchen or... Um, not actually making the food myself, um, not on a financial uh, part. It was I've I've been a waiter. That's the only thing that uh, that was my experience actually. Yeah, and then not actually wanting to to, <laughs> to have a restaurant is is kind of funny. So as you're going through the process of you know getting this up and running, chatting with your cousin, 
are you thinking to yourself like what am i getting myself into here <laughs> a little bit yeah yeah and, and it's funny because um when we started it this he has always worked in restaurants and he has the same problem like i'm, I'm working late at night um i want to do something different so he was always interested in in entrepreneurship in doing something uh something new uh that he can so that he can change the, the hours that he works um uh so we knew like that's when delivery restaurants triggered our uh, attention and especially i was already following like new trends like dark kitchens ghost kitchens um which was really interesting and um so the, when we got the idea um we already knew that it was going to be a delivery and takeaway restaurant another restaurant with seatings for example uh so the pandemic in that sense didn't hit us only that um my cousin's time was freed up like his agenda was cleared for the rest of the year so that it was convenient for me to actually get this off the ground um very cool so that, that, yeah also what is you know we, we kind of touched on dairy for vegetarians mm. being the hurdle and and it often is it's uh, for for a lot of people growing up with with cheese as a part of the diet and, and we're yeah. talking like from cows and at having the, you know, we now know that cheese has like addictive components to it. It is, yeah. del it's delicious. Uh, there's, there's no question unless you have an allergy and you haven't tasted it before. I think most people would agree that it's something that could have been difficult in their transition. How about for the people of the Netherlands what is the typical, what, what does the typical diet, um, you know, what is it made up of? Well, actually, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's <laughs> when I grew up, my diet was like meat and dairy. <laughs> that was like, that's a typical meat, dairy, and potatoes. That's what we, um, like the, the, the Dutch dinner is that we call that avegetje and it's, uh, potatoes, vegetables, and meat that's what you ate and you drank a glass of milk with with dinner so uh, during my childhood I, I grew up with that so that was always normal for me it was normal to eat meat it was normal to eat to, to, to drink milk uh, during dinner but um uh and because the dairy industry is such a big export product in the netherlands i think next to tulips i think like the biggest um uh it's it's so normal in our society uh to to drink milk and to eat meat but like for currently and it, it depends on, on like the age uh range that you're looking at so like my my parents their generation um uh, the meat is so normal for them it's so um it, that's something that they are not willing to skip at all um and uh, in a younger age range, you see that meat because it's, it's especially out of a like sustainability point of view, you see that um, reducing your meat intake is good for the environment. And especially uh, among educated people, among uh, students, you see that a lot of them are already conscious about meeting, about eating meat or just skipping meat altogether. And the last, I think, 10, 15 years, there was already something like lactose intolerance. That that was something that um, already was accepted. Like 
people knew like, okay, not everybody can handle milk and handle dairy. So it was, it already became normal that you had like lactose free milk and lactose free cheese. So that's actually, the, so we see that, um, uh, that like mind shift, uh, was already taking place. So it, it, leaving out milk, leaving out cheese, it, it sort of became easier along, uh, um, uh, along the time. But meat, like especially for older generation, that's still it's it's a no a no go. It's yeah, that's an interesting point. I haven't really thought of that before, but you're right. The it's just those slight changes that we begin to accept and understand, yeah. which makes things not seem so strange when we start moving towards them in a different way. Meat, on the other hand, yes. Uh, are the Dutch people? Would you say? Uh, stubborn yes <laughs> like in in my grandfather was from from Bussum. yeah uh and he he went to australia when he was probably like early 20s late teens but he was always a stubborn man um you know so i i just wondered if that was something that was kind of normal in the dutch culture and i can imagine you know, the older generation, I think it's typical across, typical across the board, but making a shift when you've had habits for decades, it's, it's tough to change those habits. So I, I can, I can understand it. it yeah. Can be difficult for people such as our parents. Yeah. But I think like, um, I don't know if that's Dutch per se, but we're also really, I don't know if that's the right word, like opportunistic. Is, is that a, is that a word? Mm-hmm it's like um we uh, as long and that's why i believe like where the market is going um as long as the replacements are close to the price point that we were paying for for meat or for dairy for example and the taste is good enough or even better that's when people will shift and that's also how we approach the pizzas like i want to make a pizza that a non-vegetarian and a non-vegan would eat and would like so that was actually my, my biggest um, assumption. If I can make a pizza that they will like, I for certainly know that vegetarians and vegans will like it well. So that's when you that's when you see that the shift is starting. And like we have big companies um, in the Netherlands who are already heavily investing into vegan alternatives. And I think those are getting so close, especially in, in the meat um, and in the meat genre. Uh, for dairy it's a little bit different still um, but in the meat genre and it's it's so getting so close to the actual product that i think at one point that's why i said yeah dutch people are also really opportunistic if it's good enough they'll they'll change anyway so and i think the way the market is developing i think it will the the, the alternative product would even be better than the meat product i think in a few years we'll, we'll, we will look at meat and like think bleh <laughs> was i eating that right no there's, there's a few things that you bring up there right so have you heard of the good Fu- the good food institute no so i i think you would i think you would really enjoy you know the work that they do i think they're out of they're out of san francisco i'm pretty sure a guy named bruce friedrich uh he he's the guy running it and 
yeah, they have kind of these three pillars, right, for change in, in terms of what we're eating. And it's exactly what you touched on. It's the taste, yeah. the affordability. And I believe their third one is the accessibility. Mm. So once we nail those three things, we're really going to see existential change and, and habit change. Because as you said, once it becomes you know, more than good enough, maybe slightly more than good enough, it's going to be a no-brainer. Yeah. We're already planting the seed in terms of what needs to be done for the environment, what needs to be done for us to improve our health into older age, all these sorts of things. And it's just actually flipping the switch into, into changing our own habits so we can all lead that lifestyle. So I, I love that that's that's what you touched on there. Um, another thing that we haven't really mentioned about the Netherlands outside of dairy plant agriculture. Are you not like the leaders in the world of, of yeah. Plant agriculture? Yeah, that's super interesting. We, we, um, and especially in Europe, I think we are. Um, so the, the possibilities for the Netherlands is huge in that sense. There's, we can do so much in that uh, in that agricultural market um, that I, I hope that like dairy companies and, and farmers will actually start innovating and also look at different business models to to understand that this is a huge opportunity for them instead of that it's, that it's a threat. There are always going to be companies and farmers who think it's a threat and it's going away and it's a phase. But um, I, I think and, and you see it more and more that that they're going to approach this as an opportunity. And yeah, in, in the Netherlands, I think, I think in that sense, we're good because we, there, there's, we've always been innovative in that sense. And um, there's, yeah, there's so much to discover in this space. Um, so I'm, I'm not, um, uh, I'm not worried that companies will not follow in this uh, in this part actually yeah right and for such a small country like the you know the actual landmass of the netherlands is is tiny right yeah but, but the the amount you're able the amount of plant food you're able to produce is incredible yeah. so yeah. i can only imagine that once you're freeing up and it makes sense to go down this path i agree with you that i think the initial thing felt by a dairy farmer would be a threat uh, often, often dairy is also something that's uh, sent down generation to generation. So you have that kind of emotional attachment to the work you do as, as well, which makes it more difficult to, difficult to transition. But once they see the opportunity becoming more profitable to make something like oats or uh, soybeans or, or something, or maybe a mix, maybe, yeah. You know, maybe we, we don't have to go down this monocrop kind of mindset and we we have a more diverse farming uh, operation, uh, which yeah. I would, that, that would be really cool. But freeing up that land from dairy in the Netherlands with the technology and uh, the, the knowledge that you already have in that country, I think can only mean great things. Uh, yeah, because if you if you have more land to free up, your output is only going to get better and better. 
Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like you like you said. Like the, the amount of land you need to uh, to have cattle um, is so much more demanding than if you would use it for agriculture. So the amount of innovation and technology that goes into getting the most out of a land that's um, uh, 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 that, that, that that's meant for cattle. If you use that effort and that innovation to put and put that on agriculture, the yeah, you would quadruple the amount of output that you that you can have out of agriculture. So I, I love to see farmers, dairy companies move into that space. And, and what we were talking about before with like the typical, you know, the typical food, right? Yeah. In America. I think there's a problem with vegetable consumption. Just, you know, as the standard American diet. In Holland, is is the mindset a little bit different? Like, are you guys used to, you know, consuming vegetables and, and good vegetables, uh, you know, in your meals throughout the day? Or is it really like a a meat dairy eggs world in the Netherlands? Mm, I think it's, it's mostly meat and dairy. Um, but like I said, the, the typical Dutch um, meal is um, potatoes, uh, vegetables and meat. So vegetables is always, we're always forced as a kid. And I'm always, I was always forced to eat my vegetables. Thank God I was forced to do that because now I like almost every vegetable um, besides broccoli. I loved broccoli, but uh, I contracted COVID a few months ago. And after I had COVID, I lost my taste and smell. And after that, I don't like broccoli anymore. So, um, <laughs> which is really weird because you, I love. Have you gotten your taste and smell back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just before I launched the vegan pizza bar. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I, I don't smell or taste anything, and like, how, how can I? I couldn't even run a restaurant if I don't have taste and smell. But um, unfortunately, it got back in like two weeks because some stories I've heard, like people lost it for months. But the only thing I still have uh, left is that I don't like broccoli anymore. So, <laughs> wow, that's a shame. What was that like? What was I? Haven't really spoken to anyone that's uh that's had covid what was oh yeah it, it was actually um i wasn't feeling well and then i like i had a headache that uh, i haven't had before so you know you know the kind of headaches or you kind of you know when you are getting a cold or where you're getting when you're getting the flu because you recognize like these certain symptoms you don't oh here we go again i'm getting sick but now i have like i had like this weird headache and i had a light fever and i was like okay it's probably this is weird um and i wanted to get myself tested and that morning i completely lost the taste and the smell so i had like this shampoo bar which i really loved because it had like a really strong papaya smell um, but I couldn't smell it. So I was like, I was, <laughs> I was going to my girlfriend and asking her, do you smell it? She said, yeah, it's the papaya one. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Okay. It's clear. I, I have COVID. And then she started to develop symptoms as well. And uh, so it, it wasn't that bad. Like I was sick for two weeks. I was, I was pretty sick and lost like my taste and smell, but um, luckily recovered, fully recovered. Um, 
apart from that I don't like broccoli anymore, which is... <laughs> That's a loss, man. That's a loss. Yeah, it's a loss. I know. I know. Brock, broccoli's uh, a powerhouse. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you got your taste and smell back. That was, uh, <laughs> I have likewise heard stories of people that have lost it for months, possibly, yeah. possibly forever. Uh, yeah. And once I learned of that, I, that freaked me out more than COVID. Like I'm pretty confident my body would be able to combat COVID itself, but that yeah the taste that's and smell symptom. like that uh, yeah. that's, some, that's some stuff that we seriously take for granted right a absolutely and i was like okay i don't taste and smell anything anymore but in the morning i knew okay i, I still need my coffee so i, I don't taste it <laughs> it's like warm water with caffeine uh and what am i going to eat so i think that's also part of the problem why my body is now maybe rejecting broccoli because I was like, okay, what are the, the, the only thing I could experience was textures. So, okay. I thought what, what's, I want crunchy stuff. I want to eat crunchy stuff. So I eat crisps all the time. And, uh, and I also thought, okay, yeah, I, I need healthy stuff. So I, I will eat broccoli like for two weeks and <laughs> see, see where I'm at. So that's probably why my body is now like a dude don't do broccoli anymore. It's just <laughs> crazy, crazy. So as you said, entrepreneurial spirit is something that you've grown up with. Uh, and my experience also in Rotterdam, the short time I had there, I think Sana had like a small hub at the company uh, for, for college students to come in, experience uh, the, the workplace. And yeah, always ideas like, you know, as a product, what they offer, it was always evolving. So it wasn't strange for for people to have that mindset because they had to push the product forward for them to continue to exist. And yeah, it, it was a really cool atmosphere. It was a, mm. it was a great atmosphere. Uh, young CEO, young, uh, you know, young operational people at the top of the company, uh, which is something that I suppose isn't super, super common uh, from traditional um, businesses that we uh might have seen in in past generations but these guys were young companies so i can i can definitely see from my experience there did you did you enter any into any hubs yourself uh and and what was your experience you know as an as a young entrepreneur like who were you going to for for mentorship who who were you bouncing ideas off you you mentioned starting a, a you know, a, a company that got in investors, uh, but you know, who helped you along the way? Um, well, the, the, I think that's, that's also part of the, the Dutch culture is like we, we have these, this, yep. Yeah, people abroad always call it like arrogance, but um, the Dutch are, are often pretty confident. So they, they just try stuff. And that, that's also, um, what I grew up with, like my childhood was like, yeah, you could do, you can do what you want, but just do it. Just go, go test it. Go. If you want to start a company, start a company. And that's what I grew up with. And my parents always supported that. Um, so that's why I always, the, the, the key, uh, I think is to, if you're able to, um, to cope with the, the failures that you experience that every entrepreneur experiences failures because it's like inherent of entrepreneurship is that you also fail 
if you're if you cope with that and you're good with that then yeah then then you're you can do what you want in that sense so and that that's really it's in the but especially in the Rotterdam culture as well like there are many hubs I didn't enter any hubs I was always part of co-working spaces so that's where you always meet like-minded people um, but I was for myself I was never afraid to ask for help so if I wanted help I would like message or email anyone ask for help and I always experienced that when you ask for help you will get it most of the time so I was never afraid to um, write to people asking for their, their advice or um, uh, just starting and trying to sell stuff that wasn't even built yet um, to people uh, I, I was never afraid to do that so for me that was um, I was always pretty confident in that sense uh, I'll just try and if I fail it's fine uh, and people also don't really have a, an opinion of that if you fail in the Netherlands so that, that's also part of the culture they, they, they admire people who try they admire people who who fail and like okay then you try again so that, that's why the especially in in, in Rotterdam it, it's the, the culture is really it facilitates entrepreneurship working within companies whilst having you know this spirit within you you always wanted to have your own company did you did you find it beneficial working in a company, you know, not necessarily being able to grab things by the reins yourself and, and going with it. You know, you have to work within a team. Uh, there are other people kind of steering the ship, you know, they are controlling the direction. So yeah, entrepreneurially you are, you know, you're kind of curbed a little bit, you know, you're still part of this team that are, that are pushing the boundaries, but yeah. Yeah. Did you find it helpful to it to work uh, at a, at a typical company? No, no? <laughs> no it was always a, a bad experience. Oh, no, it's not completely true. I've also had good experiences and I've learned a lot, but I've, I've especially learned to cope with, uh, for example, authority. I cannot deal with authority. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you experience when you go work in a company is that you have a boss, you have a manager. So uh, that's where authority comes in. And I always challenged that. So I um, uh, I either got fired or after a while, I'll, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. Um, so I, I personally, I learned a lot of working in companies um, because and, and I, I still, I still, benefit from those experiences that uh, I'm that's also a Dutch thing I'm really direct and I'm really um, if people aren't doing things well I will tell them but I will also tell myself but if I, if I, I always try to look at myself that way so I'm, I'm hard for myself but I'm also hard for other people uh, and that's where I sort of got softer and tried to work with that manage that and that's what you that's the kind of experience that you only get like in companies that are like established companies and you go work in a company is that you have to deal with certain cultures, certain, certain boundaries that you have. And, and that, that has helped me a lot, actually, although it has been a frustrating journey, not being able to do anything I want because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But um, so I've always has been, I've been on the side, um, uh, but I knew I needed also needed that experience in companies.
Cool. Yeah. I was, I was intrigued by that because it, it seems like you've got this burning within you, but you're deciding to go, you know, work at companies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't expecting it to be a super positive experience for you, but as you said, you probably, you know, come away with a bunch of learnings from your time at, at, Absolutely. Different, at different companies, people management, relationship building, uh, all those, you know, soften yourself up a little bit. <laughs> So, you know, you can, you can navigate conversations and relationships. Um, that's really cool. So with, with all of this experience and your passion for, for business entrepreneurship, at what point did it tie into, you know, wanting to, to push forward with a, a vegan restaurant? You know, it's not just any restaurant. You've obviously got some, uh, education along the way there's there must be some tipping point here where you're like where everything kind of collides so how how has your vegetarian vegan journey been shaped uh, yeah. you know are there are there people in your life or are there uh, documentaries uh, or movies that you've been pointed towards how how is your you know worldview being shaped in in terms of veganism um well i actually the um like yeah my my world it it shaped actually into um i've I've tested so many ideas along the way and i've experimented with so many business models uh, and most of them generated revenue. So I was at that point, am I going to push forward with this and um, make this my work or make a business out of it? But every time I quit, and that was when I found out like, okay, if this is the kind of business, yes, it works. So people want the stuff that I built, um, but I'm not going to be happy doing this. Uh, so I'm not going to push forward with it. So that's when I found out, like, I need some kind of purpose to, to, to work with in order to, uh, succeed, uh, with the company that I'm building. Um, so I made money in, in every single way I think is possible. Um, but then like veganism was already a part of my interest. So food was always, always an interest. And when I started chatting with my cousin about veganism and how he said, like the the professional kitchens are already moving towards veganism without like emphasizing it, but they just do often out of a cost perspective because um, every more and more um, vegan products are getting cheaper than the, the, uh, uh, the animal products. Um, but uh, also like uh, a guy I worked for, uh, Willem Blom, who was also an interesting person to, to talk to though. Um, he, uh, he's now a plant-based only investor and I followed a lot of his work, uh, and me myself, like I, I wanted to become a vegan. That's when I thought, okay, I've wanted to do something with the food in the first place. I wanted, but I didn't want to own a restaurant. Uh, vegan is something I believe that the world is, is moving towards that and that's going to be that movement is going way quicker than for example um uh, lab meat uh, i don't believe that that's ever gonna see the, the day of light um and 
like with my entrepreneurship skills, I thought, okay, those are three things. I need to do something with this. And during our experiments with the, with the cheese, um, uh, the, 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 the trend of ghost kitchens, dark kitchens, that also intrigued me. I thought, okay, this is something I can really push forward. So that's what I want to do now. And then personally, what, what personally shifted within you? In terms of entrepreneurship or veganism? In terms of veganism. Veganism. Um, I, it was actually when I, the moment that I knew, okay, I wanted to become a vegan is when I was looking at what I, I've, I've always been really fat, for example. So I, <laughs> I um, uh, my diet has always been a, a focus of mine. And um, when I was looking at what I'm eating throughout the day, I thought, hey, like a lot of things that I eat is already vegan. Um, why am I still eating the rest? So, and, and I thought, okay, let, let me just try to replace those products with non-animal products. And I thought, okay, this is actually not that hard. Um, and that's when I shifted. Like, that's when I knew, okay, it's not that hard to become a vegan. And if it's able, if I'm able to become vegan, why would I still eat animals? I couldn't, I could not answer that question for myself. So that's when I knew, okay, that I, I need, to, I need to do this. I need to do something with this because I feel that I can talk for hours on veganism on where the market is going. So I, I knew I, I felt that passion for veganism and to do something with that. Had, had anyone given you a book to read or is it something you've just seen in the, in the, in the news, you know, was there anything that really sparked this idea? No, it was, yeah, it was actually, um, I, I did see the, the documentary, uh, Cowspiracy, um, but I turned that off halfway because I, was, I, I felt really that, that it was framing me and I was like, nah, I'm, I'm, this is too much in, in a one direction kind of uh, way. Um, uh, and it was, I thought, and this is not for me. Um, but then I started to do research myself and then I found out, okay, this is so much more interesting than I thought uh, it was. And um, yeah, a, a part of the thing is that if, if I look at the world's problems in, in terms of sustainability, in terms, in terms of climate change, yeah, then I know um, this is going to be such a huge boost in order to combat climate change, is to change our diet, change the way we, we eat. It's a really, it's a really nice purpose to, to follow. So I think so in that sense... Uh, the, the cowspiracy triggered me even more, but I wasn't convinced at the time. So I, I needed to do my own research to, in order to, to convince myself that, that this is where the world is going or where we should go. So it's really environmentally driven. For me, it is. Yeah. 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 And, and like what I touched on before, when I think about it, I don't understand why I would eat animals if, if the alternative is good enough. But yeah. for me, environment, environment is, is, is absolutely the number one reason um, why I'm doing this. So let's talk about the good enough then, because you have started two places. I unfortunately can't, you know, drop <laughs> yeah. by and uh, 
one day <laughs> and order it right now, but uh, obviously have been out to look online and yeah, the vegan pizza bar, the pizzas look really epic, man. Like they look delicious. Thank you. Um, and then the second one is called the big drip. Yeah. Yep. So you've got two places, both look phenomenal. And Thank you. yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about, I'd love to hear a little bit about the cheese making exploration yeah, uh, and, and how easy, difficult, you know, just your experience with that was. Uh, and then the business model that you've chosen to go with for these places is, is super yeah. fascinating as well. Yeah. So in, in terms of the, the cheese, um, one of the things that I found out uh, when uh, exploring all these different kinds of vegan cheeses out there in the market is that what they're trying to do is replicate uh, replicate the taste of cheese and they use all these aromas they which are really sweet and and like i have a, like a chemical kind of taste which for me like I, I always got like nauseous when i when i ate those cheeses uh, or some of them were like super super high in fat um like and those were mostly the cheeses based on uh coconut oil and uh, and i understand why they go that way but that's when we started to wonder like why is there cheese on a pizza um what 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 does it do and if you try to answer that question you get to the argument of the problem that you need to solve it's like it needs a pizza is, is considered fast food it's it, it it's rich it needs to um, you need that, that, that good feeling when you eat it, but also part of the addictiveness, but there are other things that are also like addictive in that sense. Um, so we try to replicate the experience of cheese instead of the flavor. So our cheese doesn't taste like cheese per se, which also is nice for a lot of vegans because a lot of our customers have even never tasted cheese because they were vegan for a long time already um, or vegetarian and never chose to, to, to eat uh, cheese. So we try to replicate um, uh, the experience of cheese. So besides um, the cheese that we use on our pizzas, we also try different things with pizzas, like using vegetable creams instead of cheese and tomato sauce, um, which still has that richness, that hardiness, that, that, that fattiness that you want out of a pizza, but replicate it by, with something else. So we try to replicate experience and not taste per se. So that, that's how we actually, that, that's how, how we still approach um, our cheese making. So we're constantly developing it and um, we love the taste that we've created and our customers love it as well. But for example, the way we can handle it now, it's, 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 bit of a hassle to make and <laughs> apply the cheese to our pizzas uh so we're constantly developing that um to 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 get a better cheese to 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 be able to handle it better and maybe even sell it in the future something that you can scale something that we can scale exactly so um have you gone with like a cashew base or like what what have you found to work best for you yeah, it's um, our cheese is cashew based, mm -hmm. so that's um, uh, uh, that's our base. But um, yeah, not sure if we're sticking to that in the future. Not per se. If like we're we're experimenting with all these kinds of um, 
uh, yeah, base products that we can make a cheese of. But I, I my in my experience, the, the cashew based cheeses are still the best ones. Nice, nice. Yeah. What's your what's your favorite pizza on the menu at the vegan pizza Ooh. bar? Um, I think um, I think it's it's yeah, it's either the 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 karma swarma uh, one with their garlic sauce. Um, but I also love the barbecue chicky. Um, but we're at, we're launching a new one next week, so like. Uh, a little news flash like we're launching a pepperoni one and that's one that's gonna also gonna be really good delicious <laughs> yeah. delicious yeah what's uh it's is it the vegan pizzabar.com yeah it is yeah the vegan pizzabar.com or just vegan pizzabar uh, sorry yeah vegan pizzabar.com so for anyone out there you don't have to be in the netherlands to <laughs> feast with your eyes <laughs> it's definitely worth checking out this yeah. morning I wanted pizza for breakfast this morning. It looked that good. So, yeah, they they do look great. The veggies on it look amazing. Uh, the greens you're using look, you know, awesome. I think it, uh, yeah, really elevates how they yeah. how they look. Uh, so, um, and you you know got to add some greens, right? Bit of <laughs> yeah, you need some greens. Bit of health along <laughs> yeah. along with the pizza. So. Um, and, and how about the second one? What's the, what's the idea behind your second one that you just opened kind of recently, right? Yeah, like uh, beginning of March. Um, so uh, actually the, the, the business model that we have, so that, that's sort of good, this goes hand in hand, um, is we organize ourselves like a hybrid version between a restaurant or a delivery, a takeaway restaurant and a dark kitchen or a ghost kitchen, whatever you want to call it. Do you want to go into um, that a bit, a little bit, just, um, yeah, just quickly yeah. like a ghost kitchen. Yeah. So um, for the people who don't know uh, a ghost kitchen, but probably a lot of people, you know, is like you have all these virtual brands that you only do for delivery and takeaway. So uh, you like, you don't have a storefront, but you're just a kitchen uh, and you're on delivery, you read takeaway, um well i don't know what the biggest one in america is but we've got um seamless grubhub uber eats yeah. uh, doordash caviar yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> yeah um and actually it's like the e-commerce of food that's actually what a, what a ghost kitchen is so you're launching all these uh virtual brands virtual restaurants out of one kitchen um so i always liked that idea and i saw that more and more and developing more and more and and, and you know, also that is like a a big trend uh it's in america in china they're they're huge and when it comes to to ghost kitchens um so that was interesting for me because also the amount of revenue that you can make out of every person in the kitchen um just multiplies when you have m- multiple brands and on platforms like uh doordash you reads um that real estate of having multiple restaurants there that's just so valuable um so it's it's also that marketplace proposition that you that you're trying to achieve seo Um, all of that kind of stuff comes into play yeah it comes into play so that that's what i thought was really interesting and besides that i also wanted to do my branding on instagram on facebook um make people believe that it is a real restaurant so that's always what we're trying to do and people can 
can do takeaway. So we have sort of, we do have a storefront. So if people um, come to our restaurant and decide to take away, um, they still have the feeling that they're coming to a restaurant. So that sort of a hybrid version between a ghost kitchen and, and uh, like a, a regular takeaway restaurant that, that we're doing right now. So the vegan pizza bar was like our main brand because we believe in our cheese. We believe that, uh, well, that's not something I believe in. In the Netherlands, pizza is the biggest takeaway, biggest food in, in takeaway category as a category. Um, so, but there are many other categories that I want to veganize as well. Uh, and where there's not any offerings yet in, uh, in, in the Netherlands. Um, so that, that's why we are now starting to launch multiple brands out of that kitchen. And uh, Big Drip is the second uh, brand that we had where we um, wanted to do, uh, yeah, we, in, the, in the Rotterdam, we have something, what's called Capsalon, which is really big in Rotterdam. Maybe you've tasted it when you, uh, when you were here, where it's, it's essentially loaded fries with kebab and, and lettuce on it and, and garlic sauce and, and uh, sambal. Um, but uh, we are trying to do some different variants of that. Um, so that's actually what Big Drip is, just a vegan version of, uh, of that one. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice to veganize something local, something you've grown up with, you know, whether it's you've just had a big night out and this is something you're having on the way home or if it's <laughs> just something you do with the family. Like e- either yeah. way, it's nice to be able to uh, veganize something and give that option to your community, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. I did. I didn't get to try that. I don't think. Um, as we were kind of talking about off air, I, I kept going back to this one place because, you know, it was on the company dollar. I could, <laughs> I, I could really, you know, go for go for whatever I wanted to, whatever I wanted to eat and spirit. Yeah. Well, the reason I loved that place was because it was just buffet style. You just walk in. Yeah. Uh, it was delicious. Load up the plate, and um, it it was really really tasty i think i got possibly recommended to me by someone at the office as well so uh wasn't too far from the hotel everything kind of added up i'm sure if your places were up and running three years ago i would have i would have been frequenting uh frequenting yours for sure but it's a huge difference already the the amount of vegan places now and three years ago that's that's what you because spirit was the only place i think at the time there might have been a few others. I think it was like the the go to, like in terms yeah. of like if you want to get a really good meal, a, a yeah. good a good experience, then uh, that was one that got recommended to me time and time again, uh, and and yeah, it didn't disappoint. So with the model, super interested. I have previously worked in this you know e commerce of food world. Uh, there's another mm. platform here called Easy Cater, and it's more geared towards business meetings. So rather than the individual takeout, it's people that are looking to cater their business meetings with you know group style food. So it used to work for them. So I am familiar because I have worked with clients that do exactly what you're doing now, make digital brands that uh, are not exactly customer facing uh, helps them on that said platform because, you know, they've got multiple places, more chance of getting ordered from. Yeah. So with your hybrid model, how are you navigating having two restaurants out of the one place? Is this something that you have to divvy up the hours 
or are you doing are you doing both restaurants at the one time what yeah. what's, what's your experience been like yeah good question um this is <laughs> this is going to be a challenge when we're going to launch the third brand so now we we at first we just said outside we have the signing for uh, vegan pizza bar and now it, the signing also says big drip and maybe for a third brand we need another signing uh, uh, for a possible third brand so uh, this is something we're still trying to figure out um, I think along the way we will find out that using different um, uh, opening hours exactly for the one brand and um, maybe um choosing not to do takeaway for certain brands to like keep it to keep it simple for customers but our experience now and that's what i still find interesting is that people who find big drip a lot of customers that visit our store never heard of the vegan pizza bar so i was like how is it possible i thought i i by now i managed to reach everybody who's vegan and everybody who wants to eat at our place probably has done that or is planning to, but we still get in customers that don't have, have never heard of vegan pizza bar. So like that, those that cross marketing um, it, that, that for now that works really well, but I, I want to keep it in a way that it still, it still makes sense for customers. Um, and, and that's something that we need to figure out along the way, how we're going to do that storefront. If that's uh, like it, it, it it mustn't be like a company terrain, you know, like a, a big board with these hundred companies that they're, <laughs> that that's not what it's supposed to be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it, I think this is going to be a challenge in right. the future. And like right now, is it, is it like big drip during the day, vegan pizza bar at night? Is it completely split or are your people in the kitchen, you know, are they serving up anything that people order throughout the day? Yeah, so our, our kitchen is like the, the opening hours are the same for Big Drip and Vegan Pizza Party. So it's both at night. Um, and the people in our kitchen, our kitchen is just split up at this point. But um, like in terms of ingredients, ingredients that are used in the Vegan Pizza Bar are also used in Big Drip. Um, and for a third concept, it, like it might be that, um, that that's going to be like mixed up between the two um so yeah um I, I think at one point um people in the kitchen will make different kind of uh orders that come in like one person yeah could be making different orders from different brands exactly everybody in the kitchen we train to do that they're able to do everything Mm-hmm. but that was also interesting like I, when i started and that's also the lack of experience that i had with restaurants uh like making a pizza is effing hard man <laughs> it's, it's not easy to make a proper pizza so um we that's something we completely underestimated in the beginning is like the, the amount of skills and work that's needed for someone to make a good pizza that it takes time so not, not everybody is able to make pizzas but um everybody is able to make big trips. So some products are harder to do than others. And having that customer facing aspect, like you're not hidden, you know, you're not locked away yeah. in some kitchen where it's purely delivery. Um, have you enjoyed that? Have you enjoyed being able to, you know, have conversations, meet your, meet your customers, learn a little bit about them. Uh, also 
do you get any idea of the percentage of possible vegan customers versus non-vegan customers? Because pizza is universal, yeah. as it, as is the other stuff uh, from you know loaded fries. It's it's universal. It's not something that people are going to shy away from. So have you learned anything there? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I I love talking to my customers. So it's also part of my job to learn what their problems are and and to either solve it or yeah, like it's having good having a conversation with them. Um, so like in the the first weeks of vegan pizza bar opening, I've called every customer that ordered with us to to hear what they thought of it, if they have any feedback. And if they are vegan or not. And to my surprise, a lot of people that ordered already weren't vegan. So, um, uh, uh, and still are. I, I, if I had to guess, I think at least 10 to 15% of our customers, regular customers are not vegan, but just because they like our pizzas. So that was with, but because our name vegan pizza bar, like screams, we're vegan, like know what you're ordering. Big Drip doesn't. So what we found out in the first, weeks of big drip is that a lot of people who didn't actually know that it was vegan uh, when they ordered it uh, so we also had like uh, people uh, calling us like whoa this is nice what what is it uh, what kind of meat is it is it chicken is it I'm like no it's not meat at all it's vegetables uh oh okay yeah that's cool <laughs> so it's, it's really funny that we're now actually attracting non-vegans and that they like it so that that's our goal in the first place to to they were they were clearly hungry because there's an about tab. <laughs> they 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 missed the about tab on your website because it's it's pretty it's pretty clear once you uh once you click on that that it's a vegan restaurant. But hey, that's um that's speaking to your photography skills and and the way <laughs> that you're presenting the food because people are eating with their eyes first, right? They're like, yeah. well, I don't need to learn anything about this company. It looks delicious. Let's yeah. try it. Let's try it out. Um. So you alluded to possible brands in the future as well there. Are you allowed to share? Can you share any ideas of, you know, cuisines you would like to move into in the future? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think like the cuisines that we would move into is, is uh, maybe a little bit more the uh, Mexican style food, like burritos that, that that's something that you can veganize e- easily. I, I want to, to cater to the people that um, like those people who don't expect it to be vegan, but when they eat it, they, they wouldn't notice. And that's really important for me with this. I think I strongly believe that that's, that it, that is going to speed up the transition. So um, I think that the big food categories are the categories that we're going to move into next. I think it's Mexican might be sushi. I, I think in terms of how you, how we run the kitchen, I don't see sushi part of that per se because it's a really different style of making it but yeah who knows um but I, i'm i'm a big i'm a big fan of, of, of like mexican food so i think something like that would be next i think so it seems to me that you need to start planning some trips to uh italy and, oh, really? and mexico you know get your pizza knowledge you know keep refining your pizza knowledge and yeah and and get to Mexico to experience some uh, some real Mexican food because yeah, I think to the to the untrained eater uh, to the to the Americanized versions of Mexican food it's you know burritos uh, like the 
the hard shell tacos. I know Anna is sitting in the bedroom right now, cringing at the, at the word, <laughs> at the very word hard shell tacos. We're not allowed to say that in this house yeah. uh, because tortillas are soft and not crunchy. So I've learned a lot from, from, you know, just being with her over the last seven years. And dude, honestly, if, you know, post COVID world, get to Mexico, go on a little tour, food tour, and it will definitely blow, will. It'll blow your mind. Like some of the yeah. flavors and the sauces um, will will blow you away, and you'll be able to bring it back if that's something you want to move toward in the future. And I agree, super easy to veganize because I think the you know the 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 foundation of a lot of uh, of Mexican food, Italian food is plant-based. The foundation is plant-based. Yeah. It's not hard to, uh, to grow on that. Um, so yeah, I like the, the, yeah. the, the direction you're going with that. And also with sushi, super easy, uh, to, to, yeah. to veganize. So I'm looking forward to, to watching you guys grow this thing and, and uh, we might have to get you back in a year's time because I feel like uh, things are going to change a lot in the next yeah. months. Yeah, probably, probably. And sorry, uh, Anna, about the, the hard shell tacos. Because I grew up with hard shell tacos as well. I hated them. Like uh, when, when, my, when my mother is like, she started to introduce the, the flour tortillas and we're like, oh, that's so much better than those hard shell tacos. I don't understand it. And I've never seen a Mexican eat a hard shell taco. That's <laughs> so because... <laughs> Where did it come from? I don't know. It's totally Americanized. So we, we the same thing, right? Taco night in Australia for us growing up was yeah. hard shell tacos. Yeah, for us as well. Ground beef, ground beef, lettuce, sour cream, <laughs> yeah. tomato. And I think it's it's just literally what they advertised. Yeah. You know, it's like this is how you do this. And yeah. to us ignorant white people. We were like, oh, the, the advert says that's how you do it. So, of course, this is Mexican food. Welcome. Yeah. And not until you, you know, go there or, or meet someone, they're going to be like, dude, you've, you've got this seriously wrong. <laughs> yeah. And in Mexican food, it's one of the, the best kitchens there is, like real Mexican food. Yeah. Delicious. Um, yeah. Yeah. If if you do if if you're planning it ever, let me know because <laughs> yeah, we, we we can we can probably get down there and and since you're going to be doing it veganized, then I think that makes it easy. Uh, I think we could join you for for a little food tour there. That that would be cool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, mate. Well, I've really enjoyed uh, today's chat. It's good to catch up after about four years um, since yeah since departing. Uh, yeah, that, that three or four years since departing that company, and uh, I'm proud to see the work you're doing uh, in in the Netherlands and uh, the passion you have for progressing this and and seeing the importance. You know this this you know the food that we eat, seeing the importance it plays uh, in in how we're going to tackle things such as sustainability, environmental degradation, um, you know rewilding our our environment. Yeah. And, and having a place to live uh, in, in the future. So congrats to you. Keep, Thank you. Keep going. I'll be following you 
and uh, really keen to, to yeah. see how it all plays out and we'll stay in touch, man. So thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah. And, and likewise, the work you're doing as well, like, like sharing this with people, um, this is way forward and uh, uh, it's good to, it's good to catch up like this. Totally. To spread it. Yeah. Get this, get this episode out to your, to your Dutch yeah. mates. I think I might even pop into the, to the Sana alumni on, uh, yeah. on LinkedIn and just and drop some vegan love in there. I don't know how yeah. they'll appreciate it, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out, but yeah, congrats, mate. Uh, yeah. doing, doing amazing work. And if we find ourselves over that way, we'll definitely be, uh, be dropping by and, Absolutely. Uh, and saying hello. So uh, yeah. Absolutely. Let well, me done. Know. well done, mate. We'll, we'll catch up soon. Yes. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Hey everyone. Thanks again for tuning in today. It was a real fascinating chat with Pim. Uh, to have success in the restaurant business is difficult and even more so during these current times of COVID-19. So to begin and grow is a testament to, to his ability to try something new and have confidence in vegan food being the way of the now and the future. If you'd like to find Pim, he is on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. Uh, you just need to search his name, Pim Bolion. That's B-A-L-J-O-N. I'd also love to continue the conversation with you guys over at our Instagram page, VegTalk. Uh, I've had some great conversations with people this week about guest recommendations and uh, I really look forward to scheduling those people and bringing them onto the show. Uh, so we've got some more incredible guests lined up and coming your way. That's all for today, folks. So keep it plant-based and I'll see you all next week for the next episode of the VegTalk podcast.